0: Good morning. It's very nice to be here. I'm very excited about it. Um, uh, I, I hate to do this, but I think I'll do quite a lot of Bible flipping today. And I see there's some people without Bibles. So uh, um, if if you could have access to a Bible, that would be great. Yeah. Is, is that all right? Um, if uh, It won't be only Bible, but we'll be going back and forth a little bit Um is that right? That's a second-day Adventist hymnal. Um, I'm sure it's great, but it's not quite the scriptures. Uh, and I've made a little handout as well, so maybe I'll just help pass that around as I begin. Thank you. Uh, that's from me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah, I made 30. I think there's more than 30 people here, so maybe this might be a lesson i sharing as well. The, the handout is not essential. It's just kind of um, a rough guide of where I think I'm going. And if uh, if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me. Um, if you'd like just to listen, you can listen as well. Uh, there's, there's quite a lot of Bible references that I'm not going to go through, so they're on there if, if you want those later. Um, great. Okay, great. I'm still getting set up here. Uh, so, as I said, I did a class on the book of Deuteronomy, um, I had heard of Daniel Block, um, and I have read the book of Deuteronomy, but I've never done any serious study on it before, uh, and it was really quite a, quite an amazing summer, um, uh, Every day, so I had 10 days of classes, every day Daniel Bloch said something that changed quite something significant about what I thought about the Old Testament or the New Testament. Um, uh, So he began, the first thing he said in the class, so I'll begin by saying a few comments about the book because I really appreciated Daniel Bloch. He said, uh, I've been writing a book about Moses and I was looking for a picture of Moses to put on the front cover. And I wanted to find a happy picture of Moses. And I couldn't. Um, I paid someone to find a happy picture of Moses, and one didn't exist. There's every picture of Moses. He's frowning and stern. And it's wrong because Moses preaches the gospel. And Moses is happy. He's not angry. Um, And he spent the whole week trying to tell us that the gospel was in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, it's quite amazing actually. Um Deuteronomy does have law in it, uh but it has grace first and it's good news first. Um, and uh, if there's anything else that you take away from today, you can think about Moses smiling. So, uh he's writing a second book about Moses and he's commissioned someone to make a picture of Moses smiling. So you can there's, there's now one in existence, a picture of Moses smiling. Um uh, I, I think I didn't appreciate how important the book of Deuteronomy was. Um, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, Daniel Block argued, Deuteronomy is the most important book in the Old Testament. I guess um, people who uh, study their own book will say their book is the most important. But um, I think Deuteronomy is at least very, very important. Um, it's the capstone on the Pentateuch. Um, it kind of sits there and summarizes it. And it's the foundation for Lots and lots of other things in the Old Testament. So all the all the narratives uh, like Samuel and Kings and Judges are sort of like story pictures of what is talked about in Deuteronomy. All the prophets use Deuteronomy as um, kind of what they're talking about, basically. So if you read if you read Deuteronomy and then the prophets side by side you'll see that the prophets are working out of Deuteronomy and using it as what they're applying. The wisdom literature actually also uh, is sort of jumping out of Deuteronomy as well. So Deuteronomy is kind of the theological center uh, for the whole Old Testament. So very, very important. Deuteronomy is theological and devotional. Um, It has some very clear applications and some very uh, high stories about God. Deuteronomy is probably the most important place in the Bible for a theology of God's word. Um, It's very, very clear in Deuteronomy. Really, really wonderful. Um, It was really um, just great. So I kind of just uh, encourage you, have have a look at Deuteronomy again. Um, uh, Here is a commentary by Ganga Block, and I just want to recommend it. Um, i uh, uh, I preached for about four years in my life, and mostly I dislike commentaries. I hope that's not an offensive thing to say. M- mostly I find commentaries a bit boring, and I'm looking for insight. When I, when I read a commentary, I'm looking for, not just to tell me what the text says, but trying to give me some uh, why, uh, what what is uh, the implications of it, that sort of stuff. And this is a great commentary for that. Daniel Block has written this. Um, he actually wrote an 800-page commentary, and the people said, we only wanted about 400 pages. Now, I think he wrote 1,200 pages. They said, we want 400 pages. So this is 400 pages of his commentary, and the full one is about to be released. Bill, do you know if it hasn't been released yet? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's coming out at any any moment. And that's, that's two fat volumes. So this is the light version, um, and it's really, really wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah, really, really wonderful. Uh, okay, so that's that's the book of De- Deuteronomy. Um, today I'm going to talk about um, this person or character uh, who is in the book of Deuteronomy, who is, um, the? we translate him in English, the foreigner, or stranger, or sojourner. Um, I put the little Hebrew word down there. It's letters G-R, so grr is how you say it in Hebrew. That's your one little Hebrew word for the day. Um, uh, and um, this, this character shows up in the book of Deuteronomy about 15 or 16 or 17 times. He, he's all throughout, not in one place. He kind of keeps on showing up. And so I wrote my paper on what does the book of Deuteronomy have to say to us about someone who's a stranger, or a foreigner, or an outsider, or something like that. Um, so um, I'm going to begin by just saying, who is this person? Make a little definition of who the, the foreigner is. And so here's our first Bible verse, Deuteronomy 14.21, but that one's on the sheet. If you can read the sheet, if you can't, you can go to the Bible. Um, so I'll read at Deuteronomy 14.21. Uh, You shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns, that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you are a holy people to the Lord. So this comes in the um, uh, food laws in Deuteronomy, so uh, don't eat pigs, um, you can eat the cow, that's good, uh, that, that, that bit. And there's this really interesting, uh, almost like a throwaway comment, but it kind of helps us to understand who this character is. Um, so the law, this bit of the law says, you shall not any, eat anything that dies naturally. So, if you've got a cow that you own, you can kill it, and you can eat it, and that's fine. If you're walking down the street, you come across a dead cow, not okay. Um, you know, we don't know how it's been killed. Maybe the, the blood hasn't been got rid of properly, some whatever. Uh, but you may give it to the foreigner who is within your towns. And I, I take it this means that the, the foreigner person doesn't have to keep kosher. So they're uh, they they they're not uh, bound by the same law. So uh, they're going to be ethnically different. Um, So probably uh, someone from one of the surrounding countries who is, uh, uh, may not be circumcised, um, uh, might be visually different. So there's a sense of uh, ethnically different here. Um, The second thing is, notice there's two different people in this verse. It says, you may give it to the sojourner who's within your towns, that he may eat it, or you may sell it to the foreigner. So there's, there's the sojourner, And there's the foreigner, and it says you can give it to the sojourner, or you can sell it to the foreigner. So I take it from this, there's two people, both who are ethnically different, but one of them can't buy the the cow carcass from you, because he's poor. The other one can, so he he has money, uh, he is able to buy, so... Um, maybe the second one is like an Egyptian who has come on a business deal. Um, he's a trader, and he's got uh, goods that he's selling in Israel, and so he has money. He, he is wherewithal. The sojourner doesn't. The sojourner's not someone who can afford to buy much. Um, he's, he's a poor person. Um, uh, so he's so I put he's disadvantaged um, so pro- probably it's something like a refugee, yeah, mm-hmm. someone who's ethnically different, uh, who uh, doesn't own land and is uh, at risk, sort of. So that that's the person we're talking about. And the third thing is he's semi-permanent. Um, so again, it says you may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns. Now, I think that the idea here is that it's a person uh, who's who's from an- another nation who's been forced to live in Israel for whatever reason. And so he's left his home country, left his family. If he had land, he's left that. And he's been forced somehow to leave that. And now he's living sort of permanently. He's a feature of the culture in Israel. So I'm an Israelite, I've got my land and my wife and my family and oh here's here's the you know the local the the gur, the that uh, he doesn't have much, and we got to take care of him. So that's the sort of person we're talking about here. Um, so I've got a quote from a dictionary. Um, it says, This guy, the sojourner, is a man, either alone or with his family, who leaves a village and tribe because of war or famine or epidemic or blood guilt, that's if he killed someone and he has to run away, and seeks shelter and residence at another place, where his right of landed property, marriage, and taking part in jurisdiction, cult, and war, have been curtailed. So, uh, this is a person who is uh, ethnically different, um, who is uh, at risk somehow, uh, and <laughs> is living in uh, is Israel uh, in a semi-permanent way. Um, so, I, I think we can sort of think about feelings of. Um, uh, strangeness uh, think about feelings of language barrier think about feelings of um, cultural animosity uh, think about feelings of um, uh, poverty here uh, and disadvantage um, yeah so there's this references to this character all throughout the Old Testament there's three three of them here uh, and uh, I've written all the ones in Deuteronomy so if you would like to take the sheet home, and look throughout Deuteronomy, look up this character, you're welcome to do so. I'm not gonna go through all of them now, that's quite a lot. Um, So I put down four other references uh, earlier, and the point of these four references is this. Um, The Israelites saw themselves as sojourners previously. So in Genesis 15, Abraham says, I am a sojourner. He uses this word. So when God calls him to leave, uh, his own land, he goes to Canaan. And when he's in Canaan, he is a gur, a a foreigner, a stranger. He doesn't own his land. God blesses him while he's there. But all throughout his life, he kind of has this experience of being different. And the New Testament picks up on that. Um, In Genesis 23... God says to uh, Abraham, "Your children, when when they go to, talking about Egypt, they will be sojourners. So when they go to Egypt, they will have that experience of being foreign, being uh, not from there, and that doesn't go so well for the uh, Israelites there." Um, uh, Exodus, that's going to be two twenty-two. This one was an interesting one. Uh, so this is Moses' wife. And she names their son um, uh, by this name. It's uh, Gershom, which means the name of stranger. And she says, I have felt like a stranger in a strange land. And Moses' wife names her son the name stranger. It's quite interesting. Um, I don't know what to make of that. Um, So uh, the point of those references is this. The Israelites have in their minds... Uh, that their father Abraham was a sojourner and that they were sojourners when they were in the land of Egypt. So it's actually part of their own story, part of their narrative, that we used to be sojourners. And when God rescues them from Egypt, they are not sojourners anymore. Now, Now they have a land, they have a place, they have a security, they have identity, and they've moved from this sojourner category into this safe, good category with God, and that's part of their story—that they were sojourners and they're not sojourners anymore. Okay, so that's that's kind of the background of what's happening. These characters are there, and it's in the mind of Israel's. Um, okay, so uh, let's go to Deuteronomy. Um, let's go to Deuteronomy 24. If you have a Bible, I'm going to read from the Bible you don't, that's fine. I'll read it out loud. Deuteronomy 24. So we're going to look carefully at two bits of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> so uh, Deuteronomy 24 is um, in the laws um, from about chapter 12 to chapter 26. It's just a bunch of laws. Um, There's some organization, but um, not much. Uh, Just all these things. Uh, And uh, right at the end of chapter 24, we get this section, uh, and I'll call them humanitarian laws. (coughs) They're laws of compassion. Uh, And uh, this is one of the important places where the, the stranger is mentioned. Okay, I'm going to read starting at verse 14 to the end of chapter 24. (laughs) Moses says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor or needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land, within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it. Lest his heart cry against you to the Lord, and you be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not, put to death, uh, because of their, shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. You shall not pervert justice to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there, Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. I just love these verses. I think they're wonderful. Um, uh, Really, they're a call uh, for those who own land and have money to be kind to those who don't own land and do not own money. That's basically what they're doing. Um, so there's, there's four laws here. Um, the second one doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, so the first one is verse 14 and 15, uh, and that's about, um, uh, which one is it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wages, that's right. So verse 15, you shall give him his wages on the same day. Um, so this is when you have a field and you hire somebody, uh, and uh, so I I have a field of wheat, and it's time for reaping. Say, uh, I I this uh, strange person or even another Israelite comes, and I hire him for the day. Uh, Moses says, I have to pay him that day. I, I need, need to pay him that day. Um, for we we are a culture that kind of wages is quite normal. Um. In Israelite culture if you were paid wages it meant you didn't own land which means that you're definitely in the lower socio so the fact that you're working for wages means you're in the, you you didn't want to work for wages that's you wanted to have your land that's what you wanted but if you don't have land then you, then you're dependent on those who do have land to to get a- anything that you have and you don't have your own land and you can't get your own food uh, so wages are the food that you'll eat that day so moses says someone works for you you've got to pay him that day Uh, verse 14 says you shall not oppress a hired servant Um, and uh, so if if i'm a owner of property and i have a, a person coming if i pay them the next day or the day afterwards Moses calls that oppression. It's quite interesting. Even if I do pay them, but a little bit late, he, he says that's oppression. Uh, I think that has to do with um, this idea of there are those who have in Israel at uh, land. Um, <laughs> one of the things that Daniel Block pointed out uh, was very interesting, was uh, who are these laws addressed to? And he was actually talking about, firstly, the Ten Commandments. And he said... The Ten Commandments, in the first place, is not addressed to all people in Israel. It's addressed to male landowners. Because he talks about when you have slaves, when you have a wife, don't covet that other person's slave or that other person's wife. Very interesting. So, um, I don't. You, the Ten Commandments still applies to all of us. Don't worry about that. Um, but. Uh, it's actually taking a view of how justice works in society, and um, Moses is talking firstly to those who have, those who have land, uh, those who, um, so uh, the father was the head of the household and was viewed as the authority over that, and Moses says, that's the person that I need to hold accountable first. It's the person who has, the person who um, has some sort of power or respect, or authority, and the, that is the person who the laws are... So you who have the power, you need to make sure when you use that power, it's used in a compassionate and kind way that looks after other people. Quite quite interesting. And th- that's the same here. So it's it's a law to, to those who have land to protect those who do not have land. And here's the key bit here. Verse 14, he says, mm-hmm. You shall not oppress the hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother or one of the sojourners who are in your land, in your town. I I just get the sense that Moses is aware that there are these foreigners, sojourners around, and Moses cares about them. And he says, don't forget to be kind to the sojourner. Uh, Verse 17 is the next one. Uh, So that was about um, wages. This one is about uh, when you make a promise. So you shall not pervert justice. Due to the sojourner or the fatherless, you shall not take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Um, Therefore, I command you to do this. So, uh, uh, here is a poor person who maybe I'm loaning like my cow for the day, or maybe I'm loaning... My garment or some my um, money, so they can do something. And when when I loan that thing, um, there's other laws about pledging, um, but this is particular for the for the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner. And I I can't take their cloak. Um, So this could be for two reasons. One, it could be for the cold. Uh, Maybe if I take their cloak for the night. Um, it'll be a hard night for them to sleep. Um, it might also do because of decency, so it's, it mentions the widow in particular, and maybe um, there'll be some sort of shame associated with not having that particular crime. I'm not sure which it is, but um, the idea is uh, when, you, when you loan to someone who has ability, I can be a little more stricter with the, what pledge I take, but when I loan to someone who is a sojourner or a widow, I just have to be a little bit understanding that even the pledge they give me back isn't going to be so good. Uh, And the third one is about um, verse 19 to 20. This one I think is a bit famous. So I'll read the first verse. When you reap your harvest in your field, you shall forget a sheaf in the field. Uh, You shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Um, So... I have my land. I have wheat. I send my servants to go cut the wheat down. Don't go to the edges. You've got to leave some at the edges. Uh, same for olives. So uh, it says don't beat the olive trees twice. So I, th- I think they had like sticks, and they'd whack the olive trees, and the things come down. And I'm, and I'm going there whacking the things and uh, so probably um, like I'm the servant watching my I'm the master sorry watching my servants go back and forth and I see there's they hit it once and most of them came down but there's some olives left in the tree go back beat the tree again so I want to get all my olives and God says no you need to they go through once that's good and you get your olives but leave some olives on the tree so that the foreigner uh, the widow and the orphan can go pick for themselves. And uh, same for grapes. Uh, when you go for grapes, uh, uh, go through once, don't go back a second time. And the point of it is this. it's Again, it's generosity. Uh, it's saying uh, we, uh, this person who owns the land has uh, material goods to, for bread, olive oil, and wine, and uh, we need to leave some so that these people who don't have land can get it for themselves. I I think the idea is this. uh, The land doesn't belong to this person who has. It actually belongs to God. Um, It's a strong theme in Deuteronomy. Uh, The land belongs to God, and it's sort of like on loan to the people who are there. And because it's on loan... Uh, they need to be aware of the fact that it's on loan to them. And so, they leave some, and some commentators think it it even, it's even expressed in a way that those edges don't belong to the person who has the land. They they belong in a sense to this (coughs) sojourner, widow, orphan. Uh, and it's giving um, an opportunity for dignity, actually. So we, don't, we don't even just give them food. We give them a chance to have a bit of work, um, and people who uh, do this sort of thing often talk about restoring dignity. I think this is a restorative dignity type thing. Uh, okay, um, so uh, there's a little section where the Sajjinder comes up in almost every verse, and there are these three laws, and they're basically laws of compassion. Uh, laws of uh, kindness, laws of understanding. So here's this character, the sojourner, and God, as Moses, is calling the people of Israel, remember this person, and when we do business, let's let's make sure we think about this person. Okay, So that's the first section that I'm going to spend some time on. And the second one is Deuteronomy 10. So let's go to chapter 10. Making sense? Okay. Good. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, Deuteronomy ten. I uh, Deuteronomy um, from chapter five to chapter eleven is just wonderful. It it really is just wonderful. Um, it it's this it's the so chapter twelve starts kind of the laws, and chapters one to four are mostly kind of the story, although chapter 4 is going into, re- again, really wonderful things. But chapter 5 to 6 is kind of like this section of uh, preaching, and he goes between like high theology and really like amazing calls to love God, and um, this is where Jesus gets lots of his stuff from. Uh, and uh, so chapter 10, verse 12, to 11, verse 1... Uh, is sort of the central three commands, actually, in this whole section. So there's the Ten Commandments, and there's the Shema, and those are quite important. But uh, this little section is almost as important. Um, uh, And there's three commands in this section. Um, So verse 12. Uh, God commands fear the Lord to walk in his ways and to love him and to serve him with all your heart and soul. That's one command. Verse 16 is circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. And verse 20, uh, you shall fear the Lord, you shall serve him. So these are the three kind of uh, central calls that Moses is making in this section. Um, and yeah they're they're wonderful um, so I'm only going to talk about the second one which is verse 16 to 19 because this is where the sojourner comes and I'll just say this it's quite amazing that the sojourner comes here this is sort of the central um, like Moses okay, this is the one thing I want you guys to get and the sojourner's there right, right in the middle of it it's quite amazing Okay, verse 16, I'll read out this kind of one command. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So the New Testament picks up this language of circumcising your hearts. Circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. Moses said it first. Um, it's there. Uh, and in this command, Moses ties it to one application and that is loving the sojourner. He says to have a circumcised heart, the the one thing you to make sure you have, to have a circumcised heart, is you love the ethnically different poor sojourner in your midst. Very interesting. And uh, Moses gives two motivations here. And I think, uh, as I think about uh, how we do, um, I think about... Compassion to the poor today. This would be the first text I'd go to in the whole scripture, I think, actually. Um, yeah. So uh, God gives two, Most gives two reasons uh, that they're to love the sojourner. The first is God loves them. That's the first reason. Uh, so verse 17 and 18. Uh, the Lord is your God. The Lord your God is God of gods. Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So here are the two parts of God. God is big. He is the God of gods. He is strong. He controls everything. He made the world. We call this the transcendent God. He is uh, beyond even all the other gods that they've heard of he is great this god loves the widow the outsider the foreigner that that's he does just these people and he loves them it's this kind of these two parts of god right he's he's the mighty one who loves the disadvantaged he's the strong powerful one who does he gives justice to uh, the widow who can't get justice for herself because um, she's got no power in society, and he loves the sojourner. It's quite interesting. He says uh, he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So somehow, as we think about this sojourner, he 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 gets along somehow. He eats. He has some clothes, and God has given that to him. God has provided for him. Very interesting. So. Uh, God says, I I love, that's that word, I love the sojourner. Um, we need to remember that Israel thought of themselves as the elect nation, right? Uh, verse 14, no, verse 15, the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers. So uh, Israel has a strong sense that God has chosen us and God has loved us, Um Moses has been very clear. It's not because you guys are really good uh, that I love you that previously. But um, nonetheless, uh, it's quite clear in Deuteronomy that God loves Israel. And now, right after that, here he says, God loves the sojourner. And that's the first reason, that's the first reason Moses calls people to do that. Uh, so verse 19 is the second reason. And he says, Love the sojourner, therefore for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So if the first reason to love the sojourner is that God loves the sojourner, the second is this sense of identity that Israel had. We used to be sojourners. As I said before, Abraham was a sojourner. All the people of Israel in Egypt were sojourners. They were there, foreign, uh, and... Now they've been brought out and they're not anymore. they got land. they got safety. God's protecting them. And because, basically, God says, you know what it was like. It's not because you're great that you're not soldiers anymore. This is part of who you are and part of who you were. Don't forget what happened in Egypt. And this will help you not to be like Egypt. Because they treated you like that. And I want you to be different. I want you to remember what that's like. Um, okay so in in this section um god is calling it's he he puts the one application of circumcised hearts as loving the sojourner it's uh, to me that's quite astounding actually um and he gives two reasons and I, I think they can be for us two reasons that god loves the sojourner and that um so in in new testament terms uh most of us probably here are Gentiles. Um, and we were strangers from the promise. Um, we were strangers from the people of God, Paul will say. And we have a similar sort of narrative um, spiritually. Um, okay, let me second my time. I'm doing well, I think. Um, we go till, um, maybe I'll try and go 50 more minutes and then time for questions. Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so there's a lot more references. It's uh, quarter two right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I'll go. I won't go through these next five. I'll just talk about them. Uh, there was something that I did not expect uh, in Deuteronomy, uh, and that is th- this. Um, it's like by living in the land, although he doesn't eat kosher, the the sojourner begins to operate like one of the people of Israelite to kind of include him um, and there's three things he gets included in. he gets included in the Sabbath. Uh, so in the Ten Commandments God says make sure you have the Sabbath and he has a list of people make sure you have Sabbath, your female servant, your manservant, your donkey, your ox, and make sure that the, the sojourner who's probably hired for you make sure he has um, Sabbath as well. Uh, Festivals. Um, There's uh, three big festivals. Uh, Let's see if I can get them. Uh, There's Passover, the Festival of Booths, and the Festival of mm, Harvest, I think. Um, And uh, anyone help me out here? Uh, I think those three, yeah. Um, If you'd like, the 16 verse 9 to 17 talks about them. And uh, when they have festivals... Uh, not for Passover, interestingly, for the second two, uh, God says, when you have these festivals, make sure you include this stranger. Make sure you include the widow, uh, the orphan, and make sure you include the sojourner. Um, and I think there's a sense of uh, as uh, for Israel, the the Sabbath and the yearly festivals are strong part of what it means for them to be people of God. That's the ongoing activity that's pointing to the realities of what God has done, the the cult, we call it. Uh, And um, they're sort of being included in these activities because they're they're living there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the third one was quite interesting. So I put, they're included in the covenant, but I put a question mark on that. Um, So in 29 and 31... Or the two covenant ceremonies at the end of Deuteronomy. And they're there at the covenant ceremony. So one of them is about when the Levites read the Bible. Uh, I think it's just uh, once. I think, it, I think it's every seven years. That's this one. So every seven years, the Levites have to stand up and read the, the book of Deuteronomy. So Moses says, here's this book, this book of Deuteronomy. Uh, uh, it's, this book is like the covenant document. As a people of God, you need—it's got to be in your heads. So I'm—I want you to read it out every seven years and keep reading it out. And well, Levi's going to get up and you—you're going to sit and he's going to read and it's going to take a couple hours. And that's—this is important. And not, not every year, every seven years, a couple hours, yeah. And the sojourner has to be there and they have to listen to it. It's quite, quite interesting, um, and I think, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know uh, what we say about this theologically, but uh, I, uh, the Sardiner is different. They don't eat kosher, but they're sort of being, kind of like the covenant has porous boundaries almost, and um, it's quite, quite interesting. Anyways, um, maybe you can ask me about that. Okay, so uh, just to put this all together, so... Um, uh, here's a summary of what Deuteronomy says. Um, uh, the book of Deuteronomy is, is a big book with lots of stuff, and some of the things in book of Deuteronomy is laws about how we live. And in, I think about it like this. Moses is thinking about all sorts of stuff. One of the things on his radar is this person, this, the stranger, the foreigner. And Moses says, don't forget this person don't forget the stranger. As you do your business, as you loan out stuff, m- remember, you are sojourners and I love this person so you need to make sure you also consider this person and love this person. And it's it's a kind of a humanitarian impulse. I think uh, part of uh, the, the book has a picture of God blessing the people of Israel. They get lands, they get safety from enemies, uh, they get uh, rain that makes harvest and crops grow, and God is giving them a physical, monetary, uh, economic abundance. And God says, share that. that. That's meant to not bless just you only. That's meant to bless other people. Okay, um, so uh, Deuteronomy has this impulse. I call. It, I think impulse is the right word. Uh, impulse to make sure we care for this character, the stranger. Okay, so um, I'll just chase this idea uh, a little bit uh, through the Old Testament and the New Testament, the uh, the afterlife of the idea. And I, I, yeah, this is really interesting. I think a lot of people here will have seen this in the New Testament, maybe you've seen it in the Old Testament before. So I'll say it in the Old Testament first. Um, there's this two motions that that's happening. And so one motion is a motion of inclusion and compassion. Um, and this this happens throughout the Old Testament. So, for example, Psalm uh, 146, verse 9, says, uh, "Yahweh watches the sojourner." Um, so there's lots of verses like this in the Old Testament. So God is is looking to see how this person gets treated. Uh, he makes sure this person gets treated well. Uh, Jeremiah 6:7. Uh, seven six yeah the the verses are on the sheet sorry um, if you don't have a sheet I'm very sorry I have not blessed you with all my abundance it's and it's sided it's two-sided oh, two yeah two-sided yeah, two yeah. yeah yeah thank you yeah that's what it was there's two sides on the sheet yeah on the back here uh, this, uh, yeah so point number seven the afterlife of this idea um, Jeremiah 6 seven uh, is, is an accusation Jeremiah makes uh, to the people of Israel, you have not done justice to the sojourner. And that accusation happens about seven or eight or nine times in the prophets. Um, and they're, they're saying, you know, all these things you're doing wrong, you know, your bad sacrifices, uh, you're, you know, lying to each other, you're taking bribes. One of the things the prophets say is, you have not done justice to the sojourner, the stranger. The Book of Ruth. Um, uh, when Naomi goes, she becomes a sojourner when she she leaves uh, uh, Israel. And um, some commentators think uh, we we talked about the, the gleaning laws, the the, the harvesting laws. Uh, maybe the whole Book of Ruth can be thought about as kind of like a narrative illustration of what that that harvest law is about. Right, a guy with land. <coughs> compassionately gives to a person who's ethnically different and poor and needs help. And he blesses her through his blessing. Uh, Quite amazing. Ezekiel 47 is very interesting. Um, This is uh, near the end of Ezekiel. And he's looking (laughs) towards the new thing, the new Jerusalem. And he's talking about the land. And he says, the sojourners are going to get their own piece of land. In, in the new heavens and the new earth. Very interesting. These people who don't get land uh, in uh, uh, the original, real, historical covenant. In the in the new thing, God's going to give even them land. There's so much land and so much abundance, even these people on the outside. So, um, in Deuteronomy and throughout the Old Testament, there's this kind of motion, I'm going to call it inclusion, And God is trying to say, we need to include the stranger and care for him and to love him. But there's also this other motion of exclusion. What I mean is exclusion from uh, this earth. So a sense of that even the people of Israel are sojourners as they live here and we're being separated. So why don't you look up Psalm 119, verse 19. This is quite interesting. I think we've read this idea in the New Testament before, but I had never seen this in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 119, the, the longest chapter in the Bible, verse 19 says, I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. Uh, And I I take it this is talking about an allegiance to God first and to the earth second, Mm -hmm. saying that um, even for an Israelite, their allegiance was to God. And there's a sense of even even in the land of Israel, um, I I don't really belong here. Where where I belong with is God. So these uh, two motions, this motion of inclusion and motion of exclusion from the earth, happen in the New Testament. Um, So the most important thing to say would be probably the Gentiles. Um, uh, So Ephesians 2, Paul says, To the Gentiles you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So this, this motion that comes of t- foreigners being included goes into the New Testament and spills out into the Gentiles being included into the people of God. Um, and that's uh, uh, one of the big deals of the New Testament. Um, I think there's also sort of this idea is picked up in a relationship with God. Um uh, so in Hebrews, it talks about drawn near to God. I think this is the same sort of idea of like um, being coming closer to God. Those who are away uh, come closer. Um, uh, the, the life of Jesus, I think um, we can think about Jesus' life in this uh, frame uh, really well. Um, I guess this has to do with boundaries, barriers, things that people need to cross um so there's uh poverty and ethnicity here, and Jesus comes and he looks at those barriers and he crosses them. Um so I put down uh Mark four thirty-four. This is when Jesus uh heals the woman who's been bleeding for years. And there's lots to say about that story. But one thing to say about that story is there's many social barriers. She's a woman, she is uh, unclean. Uh, uh, because of her bleeding, she's ritually unclean, and people shouldn't touch her because of that. Uh, she's now poor, um, and she's uh, religiously out. Uh, so there's all these barriers that exist, and Jesus comes and he crosses those barriers, all of them. And he he she touches his robe, but then he speaks to her and he talks to her, and he gives her a new identity, and he, he's, he proclaims forgiveness and salvation over her. Quite, quite amazing, yeah, quite amazing. I think there's this impulse in the New Testament uh, for, for including those who are out. Uh, but again, there's also this, this opposite of exclusion. Uh, so the most clear is 1 Peter 2. Peter says, Beloved... I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So, uh, uh, as, as Christians now, we have a, a, a deep sense that this is not the place that we belong. And we, we are somehow sojourners, strangers, foreigners. We don't belong here. Where we belong is with God, and we're waiting to go here, go, go, to go and be with Him, and that will uh, determine how we live our lives. And there are these, so sort the of two motions. In the, I was surprised to find both those motions in the Old Testament actually, but I think we've heard about those in the Old Testament before. A motion of including those who are out, but feeling like we're out as well somehow because of the fact that God's chosen us. Uh, Okay, so uh, I'll just say some thoughts and applications. So this is mostly just being kind of trying to show you what's there, Um, and I'll just say a couple of um, words. So I think after a talk like this, it would be um, easy for someone like me to say, uh, this is the most important thing, and we all need to do this with all of our lives, Um, and I I don't want to say that. I think Christian ethics and Old Testament ethics is complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's many things that have to be thought about. Uh, Maybe it's like a huge, uh, big, woven pattern, a big, beautiful thing. And maybe what I'm saying is this, this theme of sojourners is like one of the colors that should be there for us. So it's not the whole thing. It's not even maybe the most important thing, but it's, it should be there. It should be there. This impulse to love strangers, love, uh, love the, um, the outsiders somehow, uh, that should be part of what it means to be the church, to, to have this kind of impulse. There's lots of other impulses, and I don't want to say this is the most important one or should exclude other ones, but it should be one of one of the characteristics of what it means to be the church to do this. Um, I, I think we can uh, draw three application lines uh, for who is um, the girl that we should think about the foreigner. Um, I think there's a very like straight application when we think about refugees uh, here in Vancouver, um, people who are ethnically from somewhere else who have a serious amount of disadvantage um, and need our help. Um, uh, it's it's a big subject. It's a complicated subject, and some Christians have a big sense of being called to that, and some Christians don't have a big sense of being called to that. Um, and uh, I'm very thankful for friends like Sophia Underhill or um, Sophia Turner who, uh, yeah, like just go to that and are drawn to help with that. Um, I think... Uh, we can draw a a sort of broader application line to those who are disadvantaged. Um, So Deuteronomy has the foreigner and the widow and the orphan. And the common thing between those things is that um, they are at some sort of uh, economic disadvantage. And I think there should be an impulse in the church to care. Um, Again, it should not be the only impulse. It's not the main thing, maybe even, but it should be there. Um, should be an impulse for us as a church. Um, and maybe maybe I have a picture of the whole church has uh, lots of different parts about who we are, uh, lots of different impulses, and all of the impulses should be there contained in the church. And then in our own lives, each of us will have our significant passions. Um, but... Uh, Maybe we should all be non-experts in all the things. So, uh, for example, not everyone's an evangelist, but we should all be able to get along in evangelism. Um, you know, when someone asks you, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, right? So, um, I've got friends who are strong evangelists, um, I'm not a strong evangelist, but I I'm, I'm, feel like I'm prepared to give give a reason. Maybe it's a bit like that. Not, not all of us have this main calling to love the disadvantage, but I think we should all be prepared to give love for the reason of the hope that we have. Maybe something like that. Um, and the third line of application is just, I'll say, stranger. Um, and I, I think part of what's happening in Deuteronomy is that there's, there's these barriers And today, we have lots of these barriers, um, uh, multicultural society, lots of things happening, Vancouver, loneliness, isolation, and all sorts of uh, perceived and real barriers, ethnic, age, race, uh, gender, life position, life uh, situation, those sorts of things. And then like, um, my neighbor who I don't know, uh, those sorts of things. And I think, yeah, like I think this impulse to cross those barriers because God crossed a barrier to us um, should be a strong one. Um, I'll say one more thing and that's this. Uh, As in Deuteronomy for us, if there is any impulse to love the outsider, it has to be a gospel motivation. And the gospel motivation is we were outsiders and that God has loved us and brought us in. Um, Okay, I think I've Done about my time. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, yeah. Uh, so we're taking questions. That was a hand right away. Great.
1: Yeah, or more like a, an illustration. Like sure, paying, yeah. Uh, yeah. paying daily. Yeah. Uh, one time when I was quite poor age, had no food. Right. Uh, I went to the casual labor office
2: and was sent out and uh, I was paid by a check. Right. That may have seemed reasonable enough,
1: but in that time and place, I couldn't get any money from it. Yeah. Then. Right. Which meant,
0: you know, so I had to. I right. had to wait till the next morning. Plus, right. well, so I couldn't go to the casual labor office at the same time. Right. So I missed possible opportunity. Right. right, right, right. That was a serious inconvenience. Yeah. Yes. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I think let's uh, make a comment that I think that's right. I think part part of um, I didn't say that. part of what's happening with Deuteronomy is those who have actually need to be organized. So those mm-hmm. who are at some sort of advantage don't be put in these situations. And actually, Moses calls that oppression. Quite interesting. Yeah, yeah.
2: Just on that thought, I mean, maybe from a labor background, but the only negotiating tool you have as a worker is your work. And if somebody owes you money, you right. can go to another employer, right? You are then you're hooked into that person, and so I think it would be really easy to have that power over that person. because mm-hmm. They keep coming back, and you can kind of treat them the way you want because mm-hmm. they're dependent on you've made them dependent on you. And I think it would, it's kind of insidious when you're in a position of power to have a hold over someone and not and and maybe just it's ignorance you don't understand just how much an impact that will have on the person's next day. But I also see it as kind of creating a, a kind of a, a host, kind of a, a hostage situation where they have to keep working only for you because if they go to the next employer, they're not available to go back to you to try to get the wages that you owe them from mm.
1: before. Mm,
0: yeah Yeah.
3: Mm. Uh, this has been interesting I don't think I've ever taken Deuteronomy quite as seriously as I am now going to (laughs) Um, you refer to generosity in a number of things Mm. Uh, in the days when I used to write term papers like you do I did one about the development of social responsibility Mm. in western culture Mm. and it comes from the Jewish law Mm. and I don't think we always realize how different this tribe was Mm. on that subject Mm. from the surrounding ones Mm -hmm. it only has a real reference to a society that made any um, law and it it was coded. it's the Code of Hammurabi Mm. which um, predates um, the writings that we have um, about anything related to social responsibility uh, the danger that women and children were in if she was widowed Mm. slavery was just really uh, a huge danger unless there were other people that would look after you if you lost your husband Uh, that really placed you in major disadvantage Um, uh, our societies have carried that through and you compare it with countries that were broadly influenced by Buddhism Mm. you do not find this I know social workers that went into places in India, for instance, at the end of World War II, trying to get people to look after the populations that were hugely displaced there Mm -hmm. and in need. And it was a hard sell. Mm -hmm. They didn't want to do it. Why would you do that, Mm -hmm. you know? You talked about it being an impulse. I would suggest it's learned behavior, Mm -hmm. that God is trying to teach them this is what I want you to do
2: Mm.
3: that um, you will always have (coughs) sojourners or you will always have others that you need to take some responsibility for at some time and um, it's uh, it has been a a major impact because all of that was transferred loving your neighbor as yourself etc into uh, the gospel that went to Gentiles I actually did wonder if this was a method of proselytism with Jews, if people who had to be included in the festivals and they had to eat with you by the same things, you know, this kind of stuff, if it actually brought some people into Judaism. And it's remarkable the difference, sort of pre-coming out of Egypt and going into Egypt, I mean, you look at the way people treat each other even in this tribe Abraham put a woman into exile that he has been responsible for Joseph was sold by his brothers Jacob, well, maybe Jacob is best not talked about (laughs) (laughs) but they were different they did not have this law and and God, I guess thought, okay, they're ready for it I can't leave them to their own (laughs) yeah, yeah
0: Yeah. thank you, that's um, yeah, lots of interesting things. Yeah, um, there's a, a bit in Deuteronomy that I didn't talk about where God says there will be no poor amongst you anymore, and then He turns around three or four verses later and says, when there's poor people, make sure you care for them. It's qu- quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, and and there will always be poor people. And just quoting Deuteronomy, actually. Yeah, Hey Harvey. Mr. Boggs sympathetic with I as a Tom Wright picture. I find it extremely attractive. I hope it's true. But in Deuteronomy, yeah. the hidden the hidden presence
1: is Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. That uh, Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden because they
0: had just made a law and God's gonna create a new Adam and Eve yeah. in a in a Land, one with spoken and with the law. It's all been made very complicated by sin, yeah. but but God is yeah. recapitulating the story, and He's going to get it right yeah. with humanity yeah. at the end. And um, yeah. but I just find that so. so uh, like Sheila's saying, Abraham is still inadable. Yeah, that's the problem, and so are the patriarch, all the patriarchs Yeah. Is Moses is in Adam, yeah. and God is working on the
1: salvation story. Yeah.
0: Is Mr. Bach, does he think that way? I, I want to put
1: the Pentateuch together, in other words. I don't want it to be an, another isolated text.
0: Sure, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, is your question about what does Daniel Block say about. Yeah, does he what? have a big narrative. What's the big narrative in the Pentateuch? I, I think yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it would be if not that. Yeah, yeah. Um so uh, yeah, Daniel Block is very very interesting um, and uh, he he spent a long time talking about how um, basically uh, God is a God of gospel always. Uh, in starting from Genesis 1 throughout to Revelation. Uh, w- one of the things he made a big point about was um, in Deuteronomy chapter six, when uh, the, at the end of so the Shema, and then then your son comes and says, "Dad, what's the meaning of all these laws? What's what's the you know we have to um, you know keep something on the edge of our house, and we have to priests wear these kind of funny bells, and what's what's the deal?" And uh, you, you when your son asks you this, you shall say. Uh, my father was, uh, a wandering Aramean, and we were slaves in Egypt, and God saved us from that. And, and so the point is the whole of the Pentateuch is the story of grace, that God is giving grace. And the meaning of all these laws is that God has saved us. Um, and I think, I think you're right. And to take, uh, anything that I've said today, or anything that's anything the law out of that story, that story of grace, is, um, uh, that's going to add up to moralism and that's going to be deeply problematic I think yeah yeah. I think that's right Yeah.
1: I felt uh, quite a relief when you reached the point
0: of saying that uh, you know what in spite of what I've been saying before uh, the land really isn't ours it belongs to God yes. and uh, yes. we are maybe the word you use would be stewards Yes. Uh, because until you reached that point I was feeling some some anxiety. Okay. Uh, the way you regard uh, Deuteronomy today, I think we have to set beside it the Book of Kings and the yes. exile and what happens to yes. Israel. Yes. Yes. That uh, there,
2: in God's great plan, there is no temple on earth.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, I have not talked about Genesis No Kings. Uh, maybe that's been a problem. Yet. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we think carefully about how to do law applications. It's quite complicated, um, and I haven't done any thinking about that for this talk. Thank you, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Just a comment. I'm reminded, um, the whole talk kind of reminded me of Romans uh, 1, where after God says that everybody knew God, that they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to him, sure. And it seems to me like the whole thing is about gratitude and realizing yes. that grace, yeah, uh, as you said, yeah. Um, that any good that I've got is not because of anything that I've done, it's because God has been gracious to me, mm-hmm. and it's just the recognition of that and saying that uh, even my, even any more behavior that I've got, I, I'd like to say that. Uh, any bad that I do is my fault any good that I do is God's fault mm-hmm. and it seems like uh, I think it's Philippians in Philippians where it says that God is a work in me both to will and to do as good pleasure mm-hmm. so it just seems like a natural extension to say that if God has blessed me so abundantly uh, with mm-hmm. material provisions even mm-hmm. with any good behavior that I've got that I realize that any shortcomings that anybody else any lack of health or any lack of provisions are God's opportunity for me to uh, mm-hmm. minister to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and it also reminds me of Habakkuk, the last, the last, the, the closing of Habakkuk, where the, the guy saying, "There's no herds in the field. There's no fruit on the trees." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will give thanks to you. Mm. Uh, that, that kind of speaks
0: to me. Of, uh, mm. That we're just kind of passing through the next world. Our soul. <laughs> mm. anyway, just some mm. there. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's right. Good yeah, ramblings. good ramblings. So yeah. maybe
2: a last comment as we close.
0: Yeah.
1: You know the thing with the slaves and different cultures like First Nations, where you take on someone as a slave because in those days there wasn't subsidized housing. And then the Portuguese, they were, they were Christians, but they had a huge slave trade from Northwest Africa into Brazil.
2: And their slaves, they invented that capweer right, to, to disguise a
0: martial arts sedan so they didn't feel very, fairly treated. Some different cultures than how the slaves would be in the Hebrew culture. So different uh it can be very interesting in different historical cultural factors as what you did when you researched Deuteronomy. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Um,
2: well, thank you, Ben, for that amazing insight into Deuteronomy. I, I've said that I, I, I'm not, I'm not a big reader of Deuteronomy. Not even every seven years. So um, <laughs> you, you have inspired me, and uh, I, I know how you have. Uh, Maybe we'll do that at St. John's in seven years. We'll meet back, and I will be reading. No, but uh, I really love. I, I think it's been so insightful and helpful about the, the, New, the Old Testament applies to our daily life, and and how do we walk better. One of the tenants of Learner's Exchange is talking about uh, applications for Christian living. So it's just been so helpful, and we appreciate you so much, and we would love to see you back.
1: Thank you. Okay.